Yaakov went into his father's tent, dressed in the clothing of Esav, pretending to be Esav, and he got the bracha of Esav. When Esav found out that the bracha was stolen from him, although Yaakov was rightfully entitled to it, Esav was furious, and Esav made up his mind that he was going to kill Yaakov. As soon as my father dies, says Esav to himself, I will kill my brother. Rivka Beruach Kodesh knew this, and she approached Yaakov and said, you must leave, you must run away. Run to Lovin's house, otherwise your brother Esav will attempt to kill you. And the Medrash tells us that when Yaakov is running, when he's escaping to Lovin's house, he turns to Hashem with an impassioned plea, and he begs for four things. Hashem, please, Tia imodi, Hashem, be with me. Ushmanrani b'derach, guard me in this way. V'shavti b'shalom al-beisavi, return me to my father's house. V'nasanli lechem lechal u'beged lubosh, and Hashem, give me food to eat and clothing to wear. Four requests Yaakov made from Hashem. The Medrash tells us that three of the requests Hashem said, I will grant. You ask me to be with you, I'll be with you. Should I protect you? I'll protect you. Will I return you to your father's house in peace? Yes, I shall. But this request for food to eat and clothing to wear, says Hashem, I cannot grant that. That one I will not grant. And it seems clear from this medrash that Hashem, if it could be, was afraid that if he would grant a guarantee to Yaakov of parnasa, of food to eat and clothing to wear, Yaakov would have nothing to ask for. And if he has nothing to ask for, that's a problem. And if Hashem says, guard you, I promise, protect you, I promise, return you to your father's house, I promise, but I cannot guarantee parnosa, clothing and food, I cannot guarantee. And this measure is very difficult to understand because we're dealing with the Bechir of the Avos, the holiest, most pure of the Avos. Yaakov Avinu, from the time he was a very tender young man, all he did was sit in the O.L. Shel Torah. He learned, he davened, taught by a father who was a tzaddik of unimaginable proportions, mentored by a grandfather who was also of such stature. From a tender young age, all he did was grow in closeness to Hashem, grow in recognizing Hashem, <clears throat> grow in being dovic to his Creator. And it sounds like Hashem is saying here, well, if I grant you pranasa, You'll have nothing to ask me for. It's like, you won't, you won't write, you won't call, you won't love me anymore. So therefore Hashem says, I can't grant you parnasa, because if I guarantee your sustenance, your food to eat and your clothing to wear, you won't have anything to ask me for, and you won't be close to me anymore, and Hashem says, I can't grant that. And this medrash sounds like a pella, because of all the people on the face of the earth, wouldn't we imagine that Yaakov Avinu surely would cling to his Creator despite having his needs taken care of? Wouldn't Yaakov Avinu still remain as close as possible, even though he knew his parnasa was guaranteed? And this medrash is very, very difficult to understand. And I think when we focus on properly understanding this medrash, we'll understand a little bit better how it is that Hashem created us and why, in fact, it is that Hashem wants us to work. And let's focus on one point. Man has many, many needs. Man has needs for food, for clothing, for shelter. He has emotional needs. He needs a spouse. He needs friendships. He needs a sense of connection. He needs a sense of purpose. Man is very, very needy. And it's not by accident that man was designed that way. One of the brachas that we say on a regular basis is, Bore nefoshos rabos vechesronon. Hashem, you created many, many nefoshos and their needs. It's not just that Hashem created all of the various animals in the wild and mankind to rule over the world. Hashem created each with very real needs. And man has many, many things that he needs to keep himself alive, keep himself in existence, and surely to keep himself satisfied and happy. However, that was not the way that it was originally intended to be. Odmarishan was not needy. Odmarishan had all of his needs met. His food was ready to eat 
to be plucked off of the vine. He had no need for clothing. He had no need for shelter. Gan Eden was the pristine, perfect environment. The temperature was always perfect. <clears throat> Everything was there. And man had Malachim at his beck and call for anything that he needed. He had a host of angels who were at his service. Man originally had no needs whatsoever. But when Adam sinned, all of that changed. And all of a sudden man found himself kicked out of Gan Eden. <clears throat> now he needed to wear clothing. Now he had to work for a living. And Bezeas apechatoch Allah, he didn't just have to work for a living. But he had to work for a living with great, great difficulty. And now mankind was changed and man had many, many needs. And the question is, what changed? Why is it that Adam originally had no needs whatsoever? And all of a sudden, man now is so needy. And I'd like to see if we could focus on this question, because this really underscores the key issue. And to do that, let me share with you a mushroom. Imagine the following. Imagine that I decide that I want to enter the Golden Gloves. I want to box. I want to become a, an amateur boxer, and I want to compete. So what do I do? I go to my local bookstore, and I buy every book I can find on boxing. And I begin studying them. I read them, and I even practice. <clears throat> I stand in front of my mirror, and I learn how to duck. I learn how to jab. I learn how to step. I learn how to move, and I practice, and I practice, and I get pretty good. I go through the motions, and every day I'm getting faster, and every day I'm getting more speed and more power, and I'm pretty impressed. And after six months, I decide, that's it, I'm ready, and I sign up for the Golden Gloves competition. What do you think is going to happen? If I enter the ring in the first match, what do you think the results are going to be? I'd like to share with you that I believe the results would be that I would get hurt very badly because you can't learn how to box from a book. You can't learn how to fight by opening up the pages of a book and going through the motions. To learn how to box, you have to get into a ring, you have to have somebody who tries to hit you and you have to duck a punch. You have to try to hit him with a punch. You have to learn to counter. You have to learn to fight. But the only way you can learn to fight is by getting in the ring and really putting it out, really having somebody who's trying to hurt you and defend yourself. And I believe that that's a very apt parable for life. Many people, especially when they're young, will learn in the base medrash and they'll learn through various svarim. Maybe they'll pick up the chovas of ovas, shara bitochen, and they'll read Maybe they'll read an English book about all the concepts of Emuna and Bitochen, and in their mind's eye, they have it very clear. I get it. Hashem runs the world. Everything, everything under the planet happens only with Hashem's direct guidance and only with Hashem making it happen. And then they're ready for life. And then they fail miserably. Because you can't learn Bitochen in the base Medrash. Oh, you could learn the concepts, <clears throat> you could learn the ideas, but actual bitochen, really trusting in Hashem, is only learnt in the fast and furious, heavy traffic of life. You see, it's <clears throat> when the doctor says to you, hmm, I have some bad news for you. It's when you have to make a mortgage payment and you don't have the money to do it. <clears throat> it's when you're under real pressure and then you recognize that I get it. It's not up to me. It's Hashem's world. Hashem determines the outcome. I have to go through the motions. I have to do my part. But at the end of the day, it's all up to Hashem. And when you turn to Hashem and you say the words, Hashem, I can't do it. It's not in my power. I rely on you. I depend upon you. That's when you really put bitachon into your heart, <clears throat> into your essence. In your operating mode, you begin to change. It's very easy to learn the concepts of Bitochen, but much like opening a book unboxing, you may know the moves, but until you're actually in the fight of life, you don't learn to really trust Hashem, you don't learn to really rely on Hashem, and there's nothing other than going through the reality of life, the reality of tough situations, the reality of seeing yourself in desperate, dire straits, and turning to Hashem, that is the only way that a person ever comes to real bitachon in his operating mode, in his real heart. And I think this helps us understand a very important question. 
that have shown him ask what might be an obvious question. And that question is, why daven? Why should we daven? Why should we ask Hashem for things? Listen, we know that Hashem is the ultimate metiv. Hashem is generous and magnanimous, more merciful and kindly than any human being we could ever imagine. The Chavaz Vavaz tells us, take a human being, the most merciful, kindly human being you could ever imagine, take that mercy, multiply it by 10,000, 10,000 times, you won't begin to understand the mercy and love that Hashem has for every one of His creations. So if that's true, here's the following question. Why should I ask Hashem for anything? If it's good for me, Hashem will give it to me. I don't have to ask. And if Hashem isn't giving it to me, obviously it's not good for me. So why in the world should I daven? Why should I ask for help? Why should I ask for a shidduch? Why should I ask for help earning a living? If it's good, Hashem will give it. And while there are a number of answers to this, one very important answer is that Hashem waits for our tefillahs. You see, many a time before you started davening, you may not have been worthy for whatever it is that you asked for. But through the process of reaching out, <clears throat> through the process of recognition that it's up to Hashem and not up to me, you changed. And through the process of davening, <clears throat> you became a different person. In the beginning, you might not have been worthy of it. In the end, <clears throat> you might have been, because the process of reaching out, asking, begging, brings us to that very core reality that it's not up to me, I am powerless. It's Hashem's world. I have to do my part. That's the way Hashem wants me to use this world. But at the end of the day, every outcome is up to Hashem. But you see, if you don't have needs, you'll never learn that lesson. If you don't have real things that you can't get without Hashem's help, you'll never really get it. You'll never recognize your dependence you'll never understand that it's Hashem who runs the world. Dale Carnegie, in his book, writes that a certain man was complaining that his sons went off to college and they never write. They never write. Can't get them to write. No matter what I do, they don't write me a letter. His brother says to him, I'll watch. I'll get them. I'll get them to write a letter. His brother takes out his pen and writes the following. Dear nephews, Things here are going very well. Your Aunt Sarah is well. Your cousins are doing well in school. And I just wanted to wish you all well and have have a good, good month to come. Signed, your uncle, P.S. I've enclosed a $10 bill. Enjoy. Now, this is back in the early 30s when $10 was the equivalent of maybe $500 now. <clears throat> but the uncle neglected to put the $10 bill into the envelope <clears throat> when he sealed it and mailed it to his nephews. About a week or so later, <clears throat> he gets a <clears throat> letter back from his nephews that reads as following. Dear uncle, glad to hear everything is well. College goes well for us over here. Uh, <clears throat> P.S., somehow that $10 bill must have gotten misplaced. You see, <clears throat> when his nephews realized <clears throat> that the $10 bill that they could use very, very acutely wasn't there, <clears throat> they recognized they had a need and they sent back a letter. And this reality is that when we need something, when we can't grant it to ourselves, and we have to get it because if not, we can't go on, changes our reality, changes our perspective, and changes radically how we act and how we turn to Hashem. The change in Adam was really very simple. The change in Adam was that when he sinned, he was Makalkil the Bria. You see, Adam Arishan was created to be the human being on a level where all he had to do was reach inside himself and make decisions to change, and that decision alone would change him. He was created in a state of perfection, in a state of such clarity of mind that if he decided that, you know, there's a tad too much anger within me, that decision the power of his rotson alone <clears throat> would change his midah, and he would now be a different person. Adamarishan saw Hashem very clearly, acutely right there. And Adamarishan didn't need needs, <clears throat> because Adamarishan was on such a level that all he had to do was make decisions, and those decisions alone would close, change him. But when Adam sinned, <clears throat> he was makalka Libriya, he ruined the world, 
And the Derech Hashem explains that what happened was that now the cloak of physicality, the heavy darkness that we're enveloped in, <clears throat> was put over man. And now it's very, very difficult for us to see Hashem. <clears throat> now it's very, very difficult for us to recognize Hashem. And it's very difficult for us to see Hashem running the world. Now we're much like that drunk who's looking for his keys under the car because there's a light there, even though he dropped his keys down the block by the bar, <clears throat> but it's lit over here. We're in this state of confusion. <clears throat> we're in this state of darkness. And because we're in this state, we need needs. Because when you have a need, there's a huge <clears throat> drive within you. When you need something and you turn to Hashem and you say, I can't do it, suddenly that drive pulls you, <clears throat> pulls you out of your stupor, <clears throat> pulls you out of the drunken state, allows us to see Hashem right there. And the reason why we need needs is because now the human being has been changed and now the human being is in the state of utter confusion and only when we have a very real need do we reach out to Hashem. And only then do we recognize Hashem. But this is not just for regular people, not just for you and I. This is true of the greatest human beings who ever lived. Chazal tell us, <clears throat> Why is it that all of the imos were barren? Why is it that none of them could have children? They were physically incapable of having children. Why did Hashem create them that way? Explains the Gemara, <clears throat> Because Hashem desires, Hashem hungers, if it could be, for the dominating, for the tefillahs of the tzaddikim. Now, <clears throat> if you think about that, that doesn't sound very nice. Imagine we have Sarimino. She's a young woman, <clears throat> she gets married, and she dreams of having a child. Doesn't go. So she dominates. Hashem, please, doesn't go. Dominates again, again and again. Week after week, <clears throat> month after month, for years, for years, she's asking, begging, Hashem, have Rachmanis. She's a nice lady. She's a good woman. She's doing your will. Please grant her... Ch- no. And not until she's 90 years old. It sounds cruel. It doesn't sound nice. Because Hashem desires the tefillahs of a tzaddik. He puts them through torture. But I believe Pshat Nechazal is quite simple. Sarah Imenu, at 20 years of age, had an understanding that was brilliant. She saw Hashem. But at 20 years of age, she wasn't who she was at 30. And at 30, she wasn't who she was at 40. And at 40, she wasn't who she became at 50. And it wasn't until she was 90 years old that she had that absolute clarity, that absolute understanding that Hashem is the Bori Umani. And only then was she ready to be the mother of the Jewish people. But you see, the only way she could get to that towering height was through the process of asking. The reason why Hashem is misave, the reason why Hashem desires the tefillah of tzaddikim is because through that process of asking, the tzaddik changes. He becomes kadosh, he becomes holy, he becomes closer to Hashem. And all that Hashem wants is our betterment, and all that Hashem wants is what's good for us. And therefore Hashem wants the tefillahs. And many a time, Hashem will hold back something from us Sometimes because we're not worthy of it. And sometimes the process of asking changes us. But sometimes, regardless of that, sometimes Hashem will hold back something simply so that we will ask, so that we'll come to recognize, so that we'll grow, we'll reach a different understanding, so that we can reach our levels of perfection. And I believe that's the answer to Yaakov Avinu. As great as Yaakov Avinu was, he needed needs. Because if his needs were granted and he didn't have to reach out to Hashem and beg, he never would have reached the ultimate levels of tzitkis that he reached. As great as he was, he ran away from his father's house at 63. He had been spending decades in the oil shatora. But as great as he was, he needed needs. Because when he had to daven to Hashem in Lovin's house, when he had to turn to Hashem and say, I can't do it, Hashem, I rely on you. Lovin is tricking me again and again. Hashem, please help me. That tefillah changed him. Because as great as he was, as holy as he was, even Yaakov had more levels of clarity that he could reach. Even he could see Hashem more clearly. And it's the process of asking, the process of begging Hashem that brought him to it. 
And that is one of the major reasons, if not the sole reason, why Hashem made us so needy. And this is a very significant point, because throughout your life, you will have needs. When you're younger, you have needs of getting the right, maybe the right shear, maybe the right school, maybe the right future. When you get a little older, it's finding a shidduch. You need the right person there. When you get to the next stage of life, it's parnasa. After that, you need help with children, maybe having children, or maybe once you have children, there are all kinds of issues that you have needs with, the health of the children and their development, and then the chinuch of the children, and getting them into the right yeshivas, and then into shirk for them, and then panasa for them. But throughout your life, you will have many, many needs. And all of us have this dream, ah, if only these needs could be taken care of, it would be so great. Could you imagine how wonderful my life would be if I didn't have to work, I didn't have to worry about my children, I didn't have to worry about my health. It would be so wonderful. And I'd like to share with you that if we didn't have these needs, we would never reach our purpose in creation, we would never reach our shlemus, and life itself would well probably be worthless. Because when you have that need, and you don't know how you're going to have your child succeed, and when the Rebbe says he's just not learning, and there are no alternatives, and you turn to Hashem in an earnest plea, and you beg Hashem, please help me. It's a very, very different tefillah. It's a very, very different approach. And you begin to get it, not in theory, not up in your mind, but in your heart. No longer are you reading a book about boxing. No longer are you standing in front of the mirror. You're out there in the thick and thin of life. It's my need, it's real, and I recognize Hashem, it's only up to you. And you change, and you grow. And that is one of the major reasons why we work for a living. If you look in the animal kingdom, you'll find that some animals have it very easy. A cow grazes in the field. It just eats all day. A leopard, on the other hand, has it very hard. A leopard, while he or she is a hunter, the leopard has to kill on a regular basis, and it's not always that easy. The mother leopard has to kill almost every day, and often its cubs will die because it can't find prey that it can take down, and its milk supply dries up. The elephants are huge and have a huge appetite, but they have a very easy time earning their keep. In the wild, an elephant will eat 350 pounds of vegetation a day, But in Africa, the elephant doesn't go hungry. Its food is readily available. The anteater has a very specific and exact diet, yet its food is readily available. Some animals have it easy. Some animals have it hard. But even the lion, who has a very tough time earning his living, albeit called the king of the beasts, he has to work very hard for his living and often goes hungry. But even he... Once he finds the prey, is easily able to eat it. When the lion kills a zebra, his food is ready, and he just sits down and eats it right off the bone. But man has a very different situation. Man not only has a very hard time earning his living, but his food is very much unprepared. Man has to sow, plant, weed, and harvest. Then he has to separate the chaff from the wheat, then he has to ground down the wheat to flour. He has to mix the flour with water. Then he has to bake it. He has to let it cool. If you look throughout the wild kingdom, you won't find a single being who has a tough a time as man earning his living. And explains the Chavos of Ovos that that's not by accident. Explains the Chavos of Ovos that that is very much within the plan and the design. It wasn't supposed to be easy for man to earn a living. And he explains why. Gemar Mbeya tells us, <clears throat> The exact amount of money that I am to make this year is set. On Rosh Hashanah, it's written. On Yom Kippur, it's sealed. Whether I'm to make $5,000, $50,000, $500,000, the exact dollar amount, except for monies that I spend on Shabbos, Yom Tov, <clears throat> and my child's Torah education, in those areas, if you spend more, you're given more. If you spend less, you're given less. But other than those three areas, the exact dollar amount I am to make this year is set. And yet, I'm obligated to go out and work. 
and not just work, but work very, very diligently, put in a long, hard day of labor. And the Chavaz Vavaz explains the why. <clears throat> why is it that Hashem wants us to work? And he explains that there are two reasons. The first reason is that it is a major life test. You see, when you don't have, and you have to earn, <clears throat> then we see who you are. But not only do we see who you are, you get to shape the essence of you. You see, when I can't earn a living and I have to go out there and work, it's one of the great life opportunities to be challenged. It's one of the great opportunities to grow. And much like Yaakov Avinu needed a need because only through those needs could he become who he was, much like the Imolus were barren, because only when they dove into Hashem could they really reach that clear understanding. When you and I are put into the marketplace and we have to earn our living, how much we make is set, but how we make it is up to us. There are things we should do, <clears throat> things we shouldn't do, times we should do it and times we shouldn't do it, ways that we should do it and ways that we shouldn't. But it's not in theory. I have to pay my bills. I have to get this much money. And now I'm tested but not in theory. Now I'm tested in a very real way. Will I be honest? Will I be ethical? Will my word mean something? Or will my word not mean something? And if you'd like to understand it, <clears throat> I believe there's a mushal that well defines it. Imagine you're at the theater. And you see the two actors, it's two stars, it's the end of the play, <clears throat> and all of a sudden one swings at the other, and he ducks, and he punches, and they kick, and they grab each other, and they're grappling on the floor, kicking, punching. The curtain comes down, and the play ends. You go backstage after the play, <clears throat> about ten minutes after, and you see these two actors, and one slaps the other one on the back. Whoa, that was such a good punch tonight. Oh, and your kick. Wow, I barely, barely ducked away from Wow. And you say to yourself, what are these guys doing? Slapping each other on the back. And <clears throat> friends, buddy, ten minutes ago, you guys were on stage fighting trying to kill each other. What are you doing slapping each other like friends? The actor turns to you and goes, what? We weren't fighting. There was a choreographed fight scene. We were going through the motions. The basic idea that I have to understand is that Hashem determines exactly how much money I am to make. And yet I'm obligated to go out there in the marketplace. But I'm going through the motions. Oh, the motions have to be very real and very believable but they don't determine the outcome. Provided I do what I'm supposed to do, Hashem will deliver to me exactly what I'm supposed to make. And the only reason I'm out there in the marketplace is not to earn my living, but to give me an opportunity to grow, to give me an opportunity to shape myself into what I'll be forever, <clears throat> to gain an understanding. And the Shev Shmaitza in his Agdama explains to us something profound. <clears throat> Remember we asked the question, why is it that when the Machnis Adam Ladin, the very first question they ask me when I leave this earth is, Nasata and Nasata Bemuna, did you deal in your business dealings with Amuna? Explains the Shmaitza, most people misread that Gemara. <clears throat> the Gemara didn't say, were you honest in your business dealings? Were you ethical? The Gemara said, Nasata v'nasata be'emunah. <clears throat> Did you act in your business dealings with emuna? Explains the Shemaitzah, that's exactly the point. Did you understand that when you were going to work, it wasn't your hand that brought you that wealth? It wasn't your actions. <clears throat> Did you understand that you were going through the motion, much like a choreographed fight scene? Did you understand that Hashem runs the world? And the real test of working for a living isn't only whether you'll be honest. The real test is, do you get it? Do you understand that it's Hashem's world? <clears throat> do you understand that it's up to Hashem? Or do you fall prey to the common mistake, it's my strength, it's my valor, it's my wisdom, it's my business acumen. And the biggest test of life is, are you out there in the marketplace and still understanding that the results have nothing to do with you? Are you able to cut through the veil of this world? <clears throat> Are you able to cut through the illusion and recognize that it's completely in the hands of Hashem? You have to do your part. You have to go out there and work with great 
vim, vigor, energy. And you have to recognize that it's completely, totally not relevant to you. It's completely up to Hashem. But it's be'emuna. Not just honesty. Did you see the hand of Hashem? When you were going to work, did you understand this? Did you get it? And why is it that you had to work so hard? Because only then it was real. Only then you had to daven. Only then was it a real test. Only then was it a need that you had to go out there. And only then was it real. You know the difference between a philosophical question and an asayan? A philosophical question is when you break your leg. Oh yeah, Shem, I don't understand why. He's such a good person. Why Why does he have to go through that pain? I don't understand it. A Nisoyan is when I bang my toe. Oh, Shem, why me? You see, with your situation, it's very easy for me to be philosophical. Hashem, let's let's focus. Why, why? But when it's my pain, the Nisoyan is real. You see, <clears throat> for this entire system to work, for me to really grow in Amuna, for me to cut through the veil of physicality, to cut through the darkness and really see Hashem, the needs have to be real, the tests have to be real, and it has to be something that I have to go out there and work very, very diligently at. And at the same time that I'm doing that, I have to understand that it's completely in the hands of Hashem. I have to go through a long day of hard work, and all the while knowing that it's not at all up to my decisions, not up to my efforts, it's completely Mes Hashem. And there are many, many lessons that come out from this perspective. The first one is obvious, that cheaters never prosper. That one should be rather straightforward, because Hashem doesn't say, hmm, I was going to give you a lot of money, but uh, not if you're going to be honest. But I think there's a much bigger perspective. And I want to share with you a muscle for it. Imagine that a father goes to yeshiva, and the Rebbe says, you know, your son Maishi, I don't know, he doesn't, the normal social integration, the normal social skills, he doesn't get, he doesn't know how to act with the boy, he doesn't understand how to play, he doesn't know how to act as a, as a mensch. So the father, being a responsible citizen, decides to take his son to <clears throat> social skill classes, and the father works with the son very diligently. As a matter of fact, the father takes off from work one day <clears throat> and invites Maishi and his friends over, and there you see all the six-year-olds on the floor <clears throat> with the father, playing Monopoly. One boy takes a turn, <clears throat> another boy takes a turn. All of a sudden there's a, a siren outside, all the boys turn ahead, and the father watches Moishi reach into the bank and pull out two $500 bills, puts it into his pile. The boys look back, <clears throat> no one notices. <clears throat> another turn goes, <clears throat> another turn goes, suddenly the doorbell rings, all the boys look up, and again, Moishi's hands reaches into the bank, pulls out another two five hundred. Father notices, but doesn't say anything. <clears throat> another boy takes a turn, <clears throat> another boy... And finally, there's a knock on the door, and again, all the heads look up, except Maishi, who reaches into the pile, pulls another 500, and at this point, the father decides he has to address this issue. So he asks Maishi to come into the kitchen, and he turns to Maishi and says, Maishi, you know, <clears throat> I couldn't help but notice that some of the money from the, the bank, by mistake, somehow ended up in, in your pile. How, how, how did that happen? <clears throat> Maishi looks up at his father and says, Tati, you know, last night I heard you and mommy discussing the fact that you need money. Here, Tati, it, it's for you. And he gives his father the money. The boy fundamentally missed the exercise. The father took off work, sat on the floor with the boy to teach him how to be a mensch, to teach him how to interact with others. The monopoly money isn't something the father needs. And this concept is a very, very big deal concept for us. When we pull certain gray little things in business, you know, it's a little bit of a shady issue. It's a little bit questionable. It's not quite straight. It's not just that we're cheating, not just that we're lying, not just that we're not ethical. Potentially, we're blowing the whole reason we're working. Hashem doesn't need us to work. Hashem doesn't need us to put in our nine to five. Hashem created beasts of burdens. Hashem created a cow and a donkey a horse. But Hashem didn't put us on a planet to be a beast of burden. And the only reason we work is not to earn money. The reason we work is to test us, to allow us to grow, and to allow us to become greater. And what that means in plain, simple language is, if you miss this point, 
then not only didn't you accomplish your entire nine to five was wasted, you worked for nothing. And a man can spend decades building a business, building an empire, become a wealthy man, and have wasted the past 40 years of his life because Hashem didn't need you to become the king of retail for you to become wealthy. Hashem gave you that opportunity to go out there and see Hashem in the workforce to allow you to earn your living in a way that you saw Hashem and you gave the right amount of tzedakah, you were honest as the day is long, and more than anything to allow you to see that it's not your world, it's Hashem's world, to allow you to grow in Amuna, to allow you to grow in Bitachan. And if you go out there, and even if you're honest, and even if you're ethical, but you didn't see Hashem in your day-to-day, it means you wasted your nine-to-five. Your whole work career was wasted. Because the only reason you were there to begin with was for your growth, and your understanding for you to become a different person. And I want to share with you a perspective that I think is very eye-opening, and I think very important. I believe that one of the great tests in modern-day life is the test of Amuna that happens on April 15th. You see, on April 15th, when you sign that tax return, And it says above your signature, I do hereby declare that all of the words above are true to the best of my knowledge. And you put your name to it, and you know that none of the words above are true in any sense of the manner. That is a major test of your emuna. You see, it's not a test of your ethics, not a test of your honesty. It's a test of do you get it? Who runs the world? If I accept the fact that that the amount of money I'm to make this year is set. Here's the question. When Hashem set on Rosh Hashanah the amount of money I'm to make this year, was that before taxes or after taxes? Right? You hear the question? <clears throat> Maybe it's like this. <clears throat> Maybe Hashem said, you're going to make a million dollars this year. You're going to be fantastic. It's going to be a great year. <laughs> but wait, you're paying taxes? You're going to be honest? <clears throat> you're going to keep your... Oh, forget it. Deal's off. I, I only meant if you're going to lie, steal, and cheat. But if you're actually going to be honest, the deal's off. Somehow I don't think so. When Hashem set the amount of money that you're going to make this year, Hashem is fully aware of the federal, state, and local tax regulations. And as a Jew, you're obligated to be honest and ethical. If there's a loophole that's legal, use it. My Rebbe, the always used to use one simple criteria. If you have a chap in the law and it would stand in front of the judge, of course you shouldn't pay taxes you're not supposed to pay throwing away money. But if you would stand in front of the judge and tell him that rationale, and he'd make a face and look at you, thief, know full well that that's not what Hashem wants you to do. And the great test of Amuna is when we sign that tax return. Because it's one little shading of the truth. And it'll make a $10,000 difference, or a $20,000 difference, or a $100,000 difference in the amount of taxes that I have to pay. If it's legal, if it's correct, use every loophole in the world, but the minute it goes over that gray area, that's the test of Amuna. And this test is very, very real, very, very powerful, and ultimately it's the biggest part of the reason why we work. Why does Hashem want us out there in the workforce, working so hard? Not because Hashem needs our help, not because Hashem needs our money, Hashem has lots and lots of money and doesn't need us to participate. And I want to share with you one more step. There's a second reason why we have to work. The first reason is as a life test, as an opportunity to see Hashem, to grow in Amuna, to grow in Bitachan, to see how we work. The second reason explains the Chavaz of is that we shouldn't be bored. Because in many generations, people were bored, and in the time of Noah, in the time of the Dora Flug, it was too good. Stom had it too easy. And because they had it too easy, they got lazy, they got indolent, they became very, very involved in things they shouldn't be, and it was a kilkel, it was a destruction. And therefore, says the Chavos of Ovas, I give you a guarantee. The Chavos of Ovas gives a guarantee that if those two reasons aren't applicable to you, you'll have an easy time earning a living. In fact, he says, if you meet four conditions, 
he guarantees he'll have an easy time making pranasa. Number one, if you're an Eved Hashem, meaning let's say Hashem gave you time off. Let's say you had two hours a day off, or three hours, or four hours. What would you do with the time? If you're the type of person who would then dedicate himself to learning, to growing, to dominating, dedicate himself to the needs of the tzibur, dedicate himself to projects, that's very good. Number two, do you honestly trust in Hashem? Are you botech in Hashem with your issues of this world, issues of the world to come? Do you really, really see Hashem in your life? Number three, if Hashem gave you an easy parnasa, what would you do? Would you sit back and kick up your feet and take it easy and start getting involved in all kinds of luxuries and all types of relaxing things? And number four, are you into materialism? I mean, if Hashem gives you wealth, what are you going to do with the money? Are you going to buy yourself the nicest Lexus in the lot? Are you going to buy yourself a BMW in every color in the rainbow? Are you going to buy yourself the yacht and the gorgeous palatial manor? And are you going to splash your money out or not? But explains the Chavos of us, if all four of these criteria you meet, then you don't need this life test. You'll still have to work. Every human being has to. That's part of the package. That's part of what we're doing here. But you'll have an easy time making a living. Hashem will, will make it much easier for you because the basic reasons apply to you in a different way. And as strange as it may sound, I want to share with you two thoughts that a Jew should have when he goes to work. Number one, you should enjoy working. We're going to spend time later explaining why and how and in what way, but work should be something that's enjoyable, that suits you, that fits you, and you should greatly look forward to it and greatly understand that it's part of your avodah Hashem. And number two, you should try to do as little of it as you possibly can. But not little because you're lazy, not little because you want to take it easy, little because I have great plans in my life. I want to grow, I want to accomplish. There are things that I have in in mind. And if you're that person who's really growing, who really has a munah, who really trusts in Hashem, and Hashem says, if I give him an easy time, and if I give him wealth in a way that he doesn't have to work hours and hours and hours, he'll use his time properly, he won't be ruined, says the Chavaz Avavos, you'll have an easy time making a pranasa. And the reality is, no matter what, you're going to end up working, but the question is how hard and how diligent and how difficult is it going to be? And it is an amazing fact that after all of these centuries, mankind as a whole is still working hard. Despite the revolution of industry, despite the revolution of technology, despite all of the changes, mankind is still working very hard. And as an observation as to how profound this point is, today, the expenses of food in the average home is about 7% of their budget. I mean, if you take the average home across the United States of America, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics tells us that approximately 7% of their expenditure is on food. So if let's go back again 200 years when everyone's entire budget basically was spent on food. I mean, basically, you got a suit of clothing when, you're, when you got married and when your daughter got married. And basically, you had to buy maybe some candles and some, every once in a while, some small thing for the house. But the vast, vast majority of your work, the vast, vast majority of any money that you earned was spent to put bread on the table. You were the breadwinner. That's what everyone worked to do. But we're living in an environment that's very different. We're living in an environment that the average family in America will spend approximately $150 a week on food. And even if you'll tell me from families are larger and they have more expenses because kosher food, I'll grant you $250, $300 a week on food is probably, even if it's a large family, about what you need to spend. So how long would you have to work to earn about $15,000 a year. Most of us could earn that very easily. So why is it 
that we have to work so hard and put in such effort. And the reason is obvious because Hashem wants us to. And the reason why Hashem wants us to is because that is the great test of life. And that's a great opportunity to grow. And that's a great opportunity to see Hashem in the workforce, to see Hashem when I'm signing that tax return, to see Hashem when I'm telling my word to my client, to see Hashem running the world, and that's the great opportunity to grow. Yaakov Avinu was a tremendous person, but he needed needs. Because Yaakov Avinu, as great as he was, if Hashem granted him parnosa, lechem, lechol, obeged lubosh, he never would have reached the heights that he reached. The Imals were tremendous and unique individuals. But Hashem made them akaras, barren, so that they should have to reach out. <clears throat> because when a human being reaches out, and a human being begs and asks, a human being begins to get it. And when you have to work very, very hard for your living, and you daven, and you begin to understand <clears throat> that it's really Hashem, but it's not Hashem in theory, it's not when I'm looking at your situation and I'm being philosophical. It's my nesayon. It's my toe that got stubbed. It's somebody stole money from my business. Ganef! Ganef! I could want to kill the guy. Stole my money. Oh, wait a minute. Who runs the world? You mean he can't touch my panasa? He can't touch an iota of the money that was designated for me on Rosh Hashanah by Hashem? And living that, but not in theory, Living that in the thick and thin, when you're really involved in earning your living, when you're really involved in making payments, that's where the real nishonos come. And as you can't learn to box from a book, you can't learn bitochen in the base medrash. You learn the concepts, you read books, you listen to shiurim to understand in ashkafa, in intellectual understandings. But bitochen is learned in the thick and thin in life. Now, when you have to work very, very long hours and you have to put in real effort and you know that everything in your life is going to be dependent on money, probably the single greatest change in your life is going to be based on income. And certainly most of your time is based on that. What kind of house you buy, what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear. And when you understand that it's not up to me and more than that, Hashem gives me what I need. My job is to go out there and work. And if you do this, then you daven, and you focus on this, then your work day becomes a huge lesson in Amuna. Your work day becomes an opportunity to see Hashem in the day-to-day running of your life, and your work day becomes something huge and significant. If we could have reached the same level without working, Hashem wouldn't have made us this way. And before the Chait, Adam Arishan was different. But Hashem didn't want that to be. And for whatever reason, Hashem ultimately understood that this is the best situation for man. And Hashem put us in a situation where we're like that drunk. It's very difficult to see the Yad Hashem. Very difficult to see Hashem in our daily life. And it's only because we have needs. Only because we're lacking. Only because we turn to Hashem and say, Hashem, I depend on you. And then we go about this world in the ways of the world in a very proactive way. And yet in the thick and thin of it, we see Hashem right there. That's how a person grows. And if it could have been otherwise, it would have been otherwise. But it can't be. And ultimately, that's how we accomplish. That's how we reach our purpose in life. And I want to close with one last observation. Rakev Yosef was one of the Gedolei Hador. He lived in New York City. He was also the chief rabbi of New York City. And he was known as a powerful order. Rakev Yosef, the yeshiva, is named after him. In any case, he would get up in public and speak powerfully, powerful, powerful speeches without notes. And he did this for years. And he was known throughout the city, probably throughout the world, as a very powerful magid powerful orator I've heard it said that his most powerful drusha was the last Rosh Hashanah of his life when he got up to say a tshuva drusha before Rosh Hashanah and he had recently had a stroke and despite the fact that he never held svarim in front of him when he spoke despite the fact that he never had notes he asked someone to bring a Rambam because he couldn't remember it and they got him the Rambam and everyone noticed that this is the first time they ever saw 
Rabbi Yaakov Yosef looking in a sefer. And he opened the Rambam and he said these words. Shtet in Rambam. And he was quiet. He lost his train of thought. Shtet <clears throat> in Rambam. And he was quiet. And he said it a third time. Shtet in Rambam. And he couldn't remember his thoughts. And he looked up and he said, Last year I didn't even need Svarim. Now I can't even remember what I wanted to say. And he got down. And I've heard it said that it was the most powerful <clears throat> Muslim lesson he ever delivered. Because to see a great man, a brilliant mind, incapable of remembering, every human being in that audience got it. I too am a human. And if I could recognize that single reality, that Hashem is my creator and I am dependent upon Hashem. I have many, many needs. I need air, I need water, I need housing, I need clothing. And despite all of my arrogance, I recognize the reality that I cannot grant them one worldwide depression and we're all out of a job. One nuclear holocaust and we're all out of this thing called life. And recognizing the fact that as powerful as I think I am, I am but a mortal flesh and blood. I put my head down on the pillow at night and I hope that I open my eyes in the morning. But I don't know. And if you ever want to take a test, <clears throat> right before you say Hamapil, say these words, I will it to be that tomorrow morning I will open my eyes. No, I will it to be. I have so designed it and I have so decreed it. And as you say those words, recognize the reality that you don't control your destiny. You see, whether I exist or not is not biyadi. It's not in my hand. I beg Hashem, and I ask Hashem, and I come to that core reality. I am dependent upon my Creator. I can't do it alone. And that reality, while it sounds humbling, is the most comforting, most beautiful feeling a human being can have because I know Hashem loves me. I know Hashem is there. I reach out to my Creator who created me with many, many needs, hand-designed for me, the perfect environment for me, to allow me to see Him, to allow me to grow, to allow me to reach the greatness for which I was put on this planet. May Hashem grant us the ability to concretize these, understand it, and put it into practice.